Good morning, church. How are we all doing? My name is Ryan. This doesn't, oh, okay. My name is Ryan, and I oversee uh, junior high ministries here at Redemption. And I'm just going to be honest with you, it's really hard. <laughs> um, and what I, what I love about it, though, is that because it's so hard, it teaches me that I have to rely on God's goodness and God's power to really do something in, in these kids' lives. Uh, if you grew up going to church or have a church background, you don't really need one for this, but I'm going to say a phrase to you that you've, that's probably pretty familiar, and go ahead, I want you to go ahead and repeat the response back to me. God is good all the time. God is good all the time. So I, didn't, I grew up uh, going to church. I, I went to church as a little kid, but for a large part of my life, I, I didn't stay in the church. And uh, my understanding of God and who God was uh, came about in an unusual way. Uh, my, I actually learned it from wall decorations inside my house. My, my mom would decorate our house with all these Bible verses. Like we had, we had pillows, we had blankets, we had napkins, plates. We had plates for decoration that we didn't even use. And all this stuff had these Bible verses. And it was her way of saying, if you're not going to come to church with me, I'm going to get the church into you. Right? And so it's like walking into a locker room. You walk into my house and bam, there it is. And you just see God is good all the time. And all the time God is good. You walk into our kitchen and, and next thing you know, you see nine different things that, says, that says, give thanks to the Lord for his mercy endures forever. You see, give thanks to God because he is good. Give thanks to the Lord because he loves you. Then you walk into the hallway and you see this one where you think there's nothing there. And it's worship me and I will give you everything. If you don't know that one, um, Satan said that one. And so it's a little bit interesting there. Um, and so my understanding of God wasn't as good as what you would think it would be. And the way that I come to learn God's goodness was this. I had to wrestle with God. I had to wrestle with his goodness. And what I don't mean by that is I don't mean I reject what God says in my life. And, and wait for him to prove that to be true, but that I take what God says about himself, I look at who I am and the things going on in my life, and I hold those things together. In, in Luke 18, uh, a, rich, a man comes to Jesus and he says to him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds back to him. He, he responds back with a question. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And what Jesus is doing is he's not just saying, he's not saying that I'm not good or that I'm not God, but what Jesus is doing, he's giving this man a question because he's saying, I want you to wrestle with this question. I want you to understand not just in your head why you approach me as good teacher, but in your life, why do you call me a good teacher? God doesn't want you to just know that he's good in your head. He wants you to know it in your life. And so the question I have for you today, church, is that same question in Luke 18. Why do you call him good? One of the things that I see most amazing about Jesus is that whenever people come to him and they ask him something, he usually responds back with a question. And what I love about that is he's saying, hey, I want you to wrestle. I want you to wrestle with what you're going through and I want you to wrestle it with me because what you get at the end when you're wrestling is you may not get an answer, but you're going to get me. Jesus wants us to wrestle with that question. Why do you call him good? Why do you call him good in your life? And for you to see that for yourself, not to just know it in your head. 
So if you have a Bible, uh, you can turn with me to John chapter 10. That is where we'll be this morning. I'll go ahead and give you a sec to turn there. As you're turning there, let me, let me say this. If, I think if we truly want to understand God's goodness in our life, it's going to begin by looking at him. Him as the source of all goodness. And so what, what we're going to be looking at is today is the goodness of God. And then Robert is going to take us on the, on the second half of that. But what I want us to keep in mind is that question is, why do you call Jesus good? And, and what does his goodness mean for us today? Uh, my hope is that you would leave today with your heart just stirred with affections to know and to love Jesus more, to know his goodness, but to know that God is not, that the things that God does aren't just good, but that good is who God is. And so uh, we'll begin in verse 9. This is what it says. Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will, they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. Uh, this is a common passage. This is one of, another one of those things that my mom had hanging up somewhere in the house. Uh, totally unnecessary. But if you've heard the idea, the passage of the good shepherd before, you've probably been taught something about how dumb sheep are. And I'm not going to disagree with that. That's totally right. If sheep are anything like me, they're pretty stupid, okay? And, and, but what I want us to see is that the goodness of God is not in me as a sheep and my stupidity in going astray, but that the goodness of God is in the love and the care and the provision that he has for his sheep. God is going to do these things because he's intrinsically good. And so here's, here's what we see um, in verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. When Jesus is claiming that he's the good shepherd, one of the things that he's doing is he's saying, I'm going to do what the shepherds in Israel wouldn't do. In Ezekiel 34, uh, there's, a, there's a prophecy and a judgment against the shepherds of Israel because they have neglected what neglected their duties. They have neglected the people of God, and they have, they have led in a way that the sheep are now scattered and it's now bringing harm. And what God is saying is, I'm going to, pro he's sending Ezekiel to prophesy and say, you guys are not doing your job. You are not doing your job as a shepherd, and so I need to get rid of you guys. And so he's going to say, I'm going to send a shepherd, though. 
one after me and one after David. And what the shepherd is going to look like, it's going to be Jesus. And Jesus is saying, I am that good shepherd. The shepherds that left, that harmed my flock, I am not that shepherd. I am the shepherd who's going to love and to care and to provide for you. And so the way that we see that is this. Jesus lays down his life for his sheep. He lays down his life for his sheep because his sheep belong to him, because they are his possession, not because they did something good, but Jesus looks at them and, and feels love for his people. And so God is, God is showing us that, that love, that we belong to him, and that is what a good shepherd does. A good shepherd loves his, loves his flock so much that he's going to lay down his life for them. He's not going to be like the hired hand who when he sees the wolf, he flees and he, he fears his life and now the sheep scattered and it leads to death. Jesus has come so that you and I can have life, so that you and I, you and I can know him in that. And so uh, what we see is that God doesn't just tolerate us. God, God loves us with a passion. He doesn't just look at me and say, okay, Ryan, you sinned that time and you're kind of kind of running out of lifelines now. He's saying, Ryan, I, I still love you. I, I love my sheep because this is who I am. I'm going to lay down my life for them. Because he knows us, because he loves us, and he, and he cares about us, Jesus is all in. God, the goodness of God is not in, in me as a sheep wandering from my, from my shepherd and him saying, well, I got to go get that sheep again. It's, it's in him just already loving. And he's going to do those things because that's what, that's what a good shepherd does. He lays down his life. And so um, when I look at my life, my life is not about navigating um, what, what life looks like. And then when things get hard, I pull Jesus out of my back pocket and, and I, I fit him into the picture of my life. No, what life looks like is me just following my shepherd. In, in verse 3 and 4, it's, Jesus is going to say, I call to my sheep. I, I call them out by name. I, I love them. I'm going before them. I'm going to lead them. And the reason why is because we belong to him. And so what, what we see is that God is, is leading us because he is our good shepherd. He doesn't just say, hey, figure this out on your own. I did my part. Now you got to go do your part. No, he, he leads us. He walks with us. He leads us into the green pastures. And so uh, what, here's, here's how we'll look at that. Uh, verse 9, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Isn't that amazing? That when we enter through the door of Jesus, we're, we're going to be saved, but that we're also going in and out into green pastures. Verse 10 says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. When we follow God, sometimes things are going are gonna to be hard. But here's the thing. I can trust and I can, I can know that my shepherd is good because I hear his voice and because I know that he's good, what Jesus is actually doing is he's leading me into abundant life and not away from it. God is not leading us into death. He's rather saying, come alongside me and I will lead you into life. 
I will, I will show you what this life looks like. And because, of, because he's leading us into life, because he's not leading us into death, he's not the hired hand who's going to do that. He's going to stay by us. What that means is that you and I can trust God wherever he leads us, even when times are hard. There have been so many times in my life where I have, where I have looked at something and I said, God, this is what I want. This is why I know we're going. And Jesus says, absolutely not. This is not where we're going. And, and his no's have been so much better than my yeses. His no's have been so much better than my yeses because he knows where we're going. The, sh- the shepherd is leading me into abundant life. He's leading me into a place where I don't have to fear death. And, and I know that he's looking out for me. So, so when God tells me no in this, in this point in my life, it's actually better than what I, what I originally thought I wanted. And because of that, we can joyfully submit to what God is, where God is taking us. We can joyfully follow Jesus into, into that, that area of our life. And so here's what the good shepherd says about abundant life. I, excuse me, abundant life looks like this. It is knowing Jesus as the good shepherd. It is knowing Jesus, not just in my head that he is good, that he is that he's the good shepherd, but it's knowing him in my life that he is the good shepherd and that he is leading and that he is guiding me. It is knowing his, his love and his care for me because he is good, and it's knowing that in a way that when people ask me if God is good, if God is loving, I don't just respond back and throw it back, throw, throw it up. I, I respond and my heart just melts because I know that God has been good in my life. That is what Jesus wants us to know. I don't want you to just know that God is a good shepherd. I want you to know that in your life. I want you to experience, experience that. That's what abundant life looks like. It's, it's knowing me. It's knowing his voice and his presence that when every day I wake up, every day I wake up, I run to him because I know that he's leading me into life. I know that he's not leading me into death. I run to him because in my heart recognizes that he is far better than anything that I could have ever wanted in my own life. I run to him because Jesus has totally captured my heart. That's what abundant life looks like. Abundant life is is God taking your capacity to, to love him and multiplying it by a thousand it's saying, here's, here's what you already know about me. Now let me make it bigger for you. Let me make it bigger because I'm bigger. I'm the good shepherd. And I want you to follow me. I want you to, to learn to love me with all of your heart. There are a number of, of you guys in this room who have been following Jesus probably longer than I've been alive. And let me just say, that is so beautiful. Praise God that, that he has shown his goodness to you in a way where, where you have followed him and it, he has sustained you. He has shown you his goodness. He has caused you to lie down in green pastures. He has sustained you your whole life. And because you know that, you know that you can continue to follow him. My encouragement to you is to continue to listen. He's done a good job so far. He's done a better job 
than what we would have done by ourselves. And if you're, if you're like me, um, you've been, you knew about Jesus for, for quite some time now. Maybe I've known about Jesus for about seven years, but I've only really been following him for, for three or four. And if you're like me, where you, where you find yourself in this place, you're probably saying to yourself, man, I don't know if this is what I signed up for. Following Jesus is hard. Let me encourage you and say this, that you can trust in your shepherd's leading because he is leading you into abundant life and not away from it. He has been good to you and has, has led you in a way where you can trust him because you know his goodness in your life. You now just say, yes, God, I am all yours. Or maybe you're not a Christian or you're not a follower of Jesus. My encouragement for you is this, that God is still gathering his people that God is still gathering his sheep, that he has not forgotten about his sheep, regardless of how far it is. Because he loves his sheep, he goes after them and he, he lays down his life for them. Jesus is still collecting the sheep that, that aren't in his flock yet. He's saying, behold, there are sheep that are not of my fold. We will go out and they will listen to my, excuse me, they will listen to my voice, and they will know me. This is what abundant life looks like, church. Abundant life looks like a life of knowing Jesus as shepherd, as, as our treasure, and, and following him with everything we have. And so my encouragement for you is, is to look at, at where is God's goodness in your life, to look at the good shepherd himself, because that is where we're going to see the goodness before anything else. It is recognizing that the good shepherd means that he lays down his life for me, that he loves me and, that, and doesn't just tolerate me, but passionately loves me, that he passionately loves you, and that he desires to lead you into abundant life and not away from it. I'm going to hand it off to Robert, um, and that is just, I just want you to be reminded with that question, why do we wrestle with God? What is God doing in my life to where I've seen his goodness? And, and this is my response. And Robert is going to talk a little bit about something like that. Would you uh, turn over in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 5, please. God is intrinsically good. Uh, sometimes in my life experience, I may be wondering, yeah, really? I mean, I know that's true in a theological sense, but the um, point Ryan was making is that something I'm to experience, and it doesn't feel like I'm experiencing that right now, and we're coming up on Thanksgiving. It's a season when we are supposed to be grateful and uh, when we are supposed to celebrate the goodness of God. And there's a lot of good things to celebrate. And many of us are in those places where it's not real hard to do that. And some of us are just dying right now. So many hard things, so much pain, so much struggle. And the verse I want to start us uh, looking at is in 1 Thessalonians 5 that keeps pushing us into that tension point. Um, if you're in that place where life is soaring, you know, it's easy to praise God when life soars. Um, 
this Thursday is not going to be a big difficulty for you to say, thank you, God. Thank you for all these good things. It's easy to praise God when life soars, but what about when it sours? This Thursday could be pretty painful. This morning could have already been painful. You may have already experienced some hardship or some struggle or some pain in your heart. Just this morning, there's a heaviness that sits on you. Uh, we've been walking with the Gunderson family, right? Our, our care pastor and his daughter-in-law passed earlier this week. That's a heavy, burdensome, grievous thing, right? Some of you, it may have even been hard. As much as we celebrate Heather and Mikey and Olivia, uh, there may be some in the room who've wanted children and haven't been able to have children. And, and that always is a difficult place on Mother's Day, Father's Day, parent-child dedication. You want to celebrate because it's worth celebrating. It's good. It's right. It's joyful. And at the same time, there's this internal but as much as I'm happy for my friend, I'm, I'm hurting here. Some of us have seen so much pain. Uh, not even a year ago, I was with a group of you digging through ashes. A whole city wiped out. And, and, and 4,000 square foot homes reduced to a few twisted wires and a blanket of ashes. That's not the last fire. That's not the first fire. That's not the only fire. That's not even the worst fire. As terrible as it was, we've had fires since then. We had fires before that. That's a regular recurring theme, and it's painful. It's painful. A little over a week ago, we had a shooting at a school here in the L.A. area. Do you know in the first 46 weeks of this year, 45 school shootings have happened? And that's not to minimize the pain and the heartache of the the families that were so deeply devastated by the shooting in Saugus. That's to say... What's going on? This is a painful place. And sometimes that pain becomes very personal. Some of us maybe are undergoing a financial collapse right now or a personal failure of major proportions. The word cancer has been mentioned for the first time about someone we love or we've lost someone we love. And then we read this verse in 1 Thessalonians 5 and we come to this this week, and we try to say, how does this fit together? So if you, if you have your Bible open, look in verse 18. Actually, we'll start in verse 16 because that's where the sentence starts, but we're going to focus on verse 18. It says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's a hard thing to do. If, if life's going great for you right now, that's not hard. It's like, yeah, thank you, Lord. This is wonderful. This is great. But what about if it's not? And we read a verse like this, and, and what do we do with it? Um, the scripture is not calling us to make light of things that are heavy. And saying, ah, not a big deal, thank you. I'm not supposed to make light of things that are heavy. Instead, it's calling me to understand that the heavy hand that's pressing on my life right now ultimately is God's. And ultimately, it's good. Now, let me be quick to say a couple of things to frame that for us. First, that has to be true. Ephesians 1 tells us, in verse 11, he is working all things. 
right? We're to be grateful in all things, and he's working all things. Those are same words. He is working all things according to his own good will. The hard thing, the painful thing, the terrifying thing, God's hand is in that. God's hand is in that. Has to be, or the scripture's not telling me the truth. The question is how? How is his hand in that? Right, it would actually be more terrifying, I think, if I went into something really painful or really difficult and said God's not in this. Because that would mean there are genuinely random things. God has a plan that he's working in this world and he's carrying it out and suddenly, oh, I didn't see that coming. Something random happens and God's got to respond to that the best he can. That's actually a more terrifying place as I, as I look at it than to say, I don't know what God's doing in this. I don't know why he's doing this and I don't even like this but I know his hand is in it somewhere. I think another verse that's really important because some of the pain that we experience isn't just hard things, it's horrible things, it's evil things. And we really need to understand carefully if we're gonna be able to give thanks in all circumstances, something about God. Let me read you this verse out of the book of James, chapter one. It says, blessed is the one who remains steadfast under trial For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. There are genuinely evil things that come in my life. It was evil. It was evil to shoot people down at Saugus High School. It's evil. Right? There's no other explanation for that. We can talk about the proximate causes. Well, it was this, it was that, it was it. But at its heart, it's evil. How could God do that? Well, God didn't do that in the sense of he didn't initiate that. God doesn't initiate evil. He's not the author of evil. He's not tempted by evil, and he's not going to tempt me with that either. And if you've got experiences and things that you're struggling with, it's really important you get this distinction, because otherwise it's not possible to live out the freedom that comes from 1 Thessalonians 5. If there's evil that is happening in your life, God did not say, what evil thing can I throw at you? God does not work that way. But in his sovereignty, he still works. And exactly how that works out, nobody knows. It makes sure that all theologians have job security, right? They get to argue over exactly how does that work. But at some level, in one sense, maybe we could say God co-ops it. Somebody makes an evil choice and God co-ops that and says, For whatever reason, that evil has to be allowed to stand, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to take that and I'm going to use that in your life and in in this world to do something fruitful, something good, even as painful and hard and ugly and wrong as this thing is, there's somebody bigger and stronger and better behind everything. He said, this random act isn't going to throw you off. I've got a way of bringing you through it. That's really important that we would have that clear in our minds if we're going to really take seriously and everything, give thanks. Give thanks in all circumstances. This is is God's will for me. I have to understand that God is present 
in my triumph, but he's also present in my trial. And that may not make my trial stop being painful. It may not make whatever's going on stop being terrifying. It may not make whatever's going on even stop being evil. But it says in the midst of that, God's with me. And because of that, thank you. I was interacting with somebody recently who had been taken to the very depths. Actually, I've been interacting with a lot of people recently who've been taken to the very depths. It's a heavy season. But this particular person was wrestling and came to face what was perhaps their greatest fear. And it looked like, I don't know what's going to happen here. And in that moment, there was something profound that happened in their heart because they were able to say, you know, I think everything else is, is in some sense being stripped away, and yet I still know God's here. And for all of my life following Jesus, I've been able to say the theology, God's enough. But now that I'm on the brink, I actually know God's enough. It wasn't said glibly with this nice little plastic smile. It was said through tears and deep heartache. But it was still real. I was listening to a song the other day that um, I think is new. It's at least new to me. The artist is J.J. Heller. Some of you may have heard of her. I'll just quote uh, one stanza in the chorus. It's, It's this long questioning. She's wrestling with her faith. And she says this, what if all my life I wrestle with my worry and anxiety? What if the thorn deep in my side is only there to help me so that though I never ask for it, the dessert, uh, the dessert, I always ask for the dessert. The desert, isn't that, we ask for dessert, we never ask for desert. I could have titled the sermon that, couldn't I? What What if we drop an S and it turns into a desert? The sweet thing we're looking for is suddenly this hard, sandy, barren, miserable place. What if, though I never ask for it, the desert is God's gift to me? What if the world, listen to this, this is the course. what if the world doesn't end when the fears come true? Not one of the great things, my life will be over. What if it's not? What if my fears actually come true and I'm still there? What if, we have what we need to make it through. There's manna from heaven and mercy's new. What if God is still there in this desert too? My encouragement to you this morning is if, if you're in the desert and we're coming up on Thanksgiving, wow, it's a tough holiday. You just slap on a plastic smile and make nice with family and kind of pretend everything's good. Do we despair or is there some path forward where I can actually be thankful in the midst of this but not some naive but a deeper, genuine, anchored thanks to God? Read you a few more verses. This is in Romans 8. Verse 28 says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. That's really important. It doesn't say all things are good. It says all things work together for good, right? Bad things happen. Evil things happen. God does not initiate, and yet he's still in control. And maybe one way of looking at it is he co-ops it. 
And he says, and here's how I'm going to do good in that. We know all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And then he gives some very deep theology about his purposes in transforming us. And then he picks up our heartstrings again in verse 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? You know, if you've been victimized, that's painful. It's horrible. It's inexcusable. God didn't cause that. But he does say, I am overwhelmingly for you. And even those that have tried to do such deep harm, they'll be accountable to me, and I have a plan to help you through this. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Right? He gave us his son. And his son is interceding for us even in our hardest things. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Is that going to separate me from the love of Christ? He doesn't say that's not coming into my life. The next words is, as it's written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered, right? Bad things do come. Horrible things do happen. Evil does occur. But he says, I've got you, and I've got this, and nothing will separate you from my love. He finishes up, no, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing will separate me from God's love. I am always in God's love. God is always actively loving me. Now, think about that for a minute. Because if what I'm in right now doesn't feel that way, it's hard. What he's saying is, I'm actively loving you even in the midst of the hard. Hard is not evidence of distance between me and God. And heartache isn't some sign that he's uncaring. In everything, I'm loving you. Nothing will separate you from my love. Even death, even the demonic realm won't separate you from my love. And what you need to understand, even if you don't understand, right? There are things that you won't ever fully understand. You won't be able to say, ah, I got it. That makes it all cool. I'm good with that. Like, God's not naive. He wasn't born yesterday. He wasn't born at all. He's not naive. He doesn't slap a nice little bumper sticker verse over your life and say, here, it's all better. But he does say, whether you will fully understand it or not, I am actively working everything for ultimate good. And even the evil and hard and horrible things that happen, even though I didn't cause them, I'm not absent from them. I haven't left you alone in them. And they're not random and running around 
wreaking havoc in your life. I'm going to work all of it. I am actively right now working all of it, and I am actively right now loving you in it. I'm working it all for your good. All right, there are things that we um, see, God says. Here's part of my reasons for hard things. Romans 5 says our suffering, our struggle builds character and builds hope. That's good, right? That's a nice thing. Colossians 1 takes it to a higher plane, and he says, you know, in my suffering, Paul says, in my suffering, I'm actually filling up the sufferings of Christ. I'm being allowed to join in what Jesus is doing so that he can do his great work in the world, and that's good. Um, Or this one here is perhaps the most comprehensive and overall helpful. Let me just read these verses to you from 2 Corinthians 4. It says, we do not lose heart, Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. This light, momentary affliction. Now, it sounds like he's making light of what's heavy, but this is the same guy who has already told the same church, you want to know how hard it is? Let me tell you how hard it is. I've been shipwrecked. I've been left in the water. I've been left for dead. I've been stoned. I've been abandoned. I have been naked. I have been starving. I have been struggling over and over and over again. It is not easy. It is hard. So when he says this momentary light affliction, it's not this guy who's sitting on a comfortable couch somewhere watching the world go by on his TV going, oh, what a shame. I'll switch the channel because that one's too heavy on me. It's the guy who's being ground to powder in the very crucible of life. So when he's saying this momentary light affliction, he's not saying it's nothing. He's saying, no, 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 no. It's heavy. It's burdensome. It's hard. It's painful. It's gut-wrenching. But God's let me have a picture of something even greater, so much greater, so much greater than by comparison. All of my tears and all of my groanings, well, they really don't compare. They really don't compare. When God calls me in everything, to give thanks. He's actually calling me to something really hard. But he gives me what I need. Right? And, and I think most of us have lived long enough to look back on hard things and go, I wouldn't trade that for the world. Most of us are happy to have done hard things, but I don't want to be in this one right now. Get me out. I can see how that's true in the rearview mirror, but what's looming large in my windshield is overwhelming and it's sickening and it's terrifying and it is demoralizing and I'm struggling. As we come into Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving's not just a holiday for happy people. He says, he says, give thanks in everything. Give thanks in everything. And he's, he, there, there's really, when we read that verse, I, I think there's two different kinds of responses, and one will only go so far, and it'll collapse, right? Some of you may remember, you're old enough to remember, or maybe you've seen it, uh, the movie or the book, Pollyanna. 
right? People are, somebody who's Pollyanna-ish is someone who's always finding something good in every situation, always looking for the positive, always finding something good to say. That's what Pollyanna did. That's what she was. She played what's called the glad game. Find something good to say. And in the movie, in a book, it transformed lives. And actually, that can have a transformative effect, but it doesn't have any weight to it. It doesn't have any structural strength to it. So as life gets heavier and heavier and heavier, it will collapse. And God is not saying, I want a bunch of Pollyannas to say thank you in every situation. Find something good and go, yeah. Because if it gets heavier, that's going to collapse. Don't be Pollyanna, be Polycarp. Some of you have heard of him. Doesn't mean a lot of fish. He's actually a, 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 a major church leader. He's probably the last living church leader who actually knew the apostles personally. He was a disciple of the apostle John. And he was a leader of the church in Smyrna, modern day Izmir, major, major city, major, major church. And when persecution broke out in the 150s, he was swept up in it. And he was taken before the governor and there was capital punishment. And all he had to do was offer a sacrifice to the statue of the emperor and everything would be good. And they were concerned because he's 86 years old. He's like, don't, in modern parlance, he's like, dude, don't throw it away. You're 86. Just give your sacrifice and move on. It's not a big deal. I mean, that's a hard place to be. And yet, here's what Polycarp said, 86 years Have I served him and he has done me no wrong? How can I blaspheme my king and savior? Right, when when we're called to give thanks in everything, it's not a Pollyanna, look for the positive, there's gotta be something good there. It's deeper than that. It's rooted in the fact that that heavy hand that's resting on me is God's and it's good. Even if what started the crisis is evil and wicked and inexcusable, God has not taken his hands off and said, well, we'll see how this plays out, and then I'll come in. It's like, no, no, even in the middle of all of this horrible stuff that's happening, I'm going to be there, and I'm going to be working, and I'm going to be accomplishing things that are beautiful, that are good. And so when we're called to give thanks in all circumstances... It says this, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Calls us back to our anchor point, in Christ Jesus, the good shepherd. It's like you can't do this on your own. Do this in Christ. Do this in Christ, in your relationship with him and the strength you draw from him in your communication with him, your communion with him. That's how you give thanks. And some of us may be in a place right now that is so hard and so painful, we can't even imagine going to God and giving thanks. We're filled with indignation at injustice. We're filled with pain and tears at loss. And we just want to storm into the throne room of heaven and and start making demands. And here's my encouragement for this Thanksgiving week. Scoop up all that indignation. Scoop up all that anger. Scoop up all that fear. Scoop up all that frustration and that horror and all of that stuff and storm into the throne room of heaven because you can. Bring it to God. Because as you're bringing it to him, you'll notice 
But it's not just the father on the throne. There's the son, the sympathetic, loving advocate who's standing there, who's answering, who's interceding, and who looks at you with those weary eyes that have seen too much pain and heartache, that are still filled with hope and still twinkle with love. And he says, are you betrayed? I know. One of my friends kissed me and handed me over. And all of the others, all I remember is seeing their backs as they ran for their lives. I know. You've been betrayed. I understand. Are you lonely? I just wanted them to pray with me in the garden. And they fell asleep. And they left me alone. And then on the cross, God himself turned his back. We have that phrase, God forsaken. There's nothing anywhere that is God forsaken other than hell. And for a brief moment, Jesus. In all of my hardship, I'm never God forsaken. Jesus says, do you feel alone? I know. I know. You have this heaviness, this fear, this dread. Yeah. You know, I actually sweat blood and wailed that God would find another way. I know. And I can scoop up all of that heartache and all of that frustration and all of that anger and all of that indignation and all of that fear, and I can come to a God who understands. And it's that God who says, You may not feel it in this moment. You may not understand it in this moment. But the heavy hand that's resting on you, God is in that. And he will redeem it. And he worked everything for good. And in everything, in everything, give thanks. Maybe for some of us, God will lead us all the way through to that place this week. And maybe for some of us, we won't get there. It's okay. It's okay. Sometimes hurting is just all that we feel, all that's in us. I've been there. I have not had the strength to pray sometimes, but others have prayed for me, and I want you to know that I'm I'm praying for you. And there's others that will be praying for you. If you don't have the strength to pray, somebody else does. And even if we fail at that, Jesus is the one who's interceding, and also in Romans 8 it says, even when all I can do is groan, the Holy Spirit groans with me and intercedes. And I would encourage you, if you have nothing to say to God because it hurts so much, then just groan. But groan to him. And let him lead you. So that ultimately this cannot just be words on a page that sound nice most of the time and sound crazy ridiculous for a little bit of the time. These are actually things that sustain us. In everything, give thanks. Because everything is in God's hands. And I may not know how. I may not know why. And if I knew, I might not like it. But he's good. And he's got me. And I ask the ushers to come and let me pray for us. We'll take our offering. 
You know, a holiday like Thanksgiving sometimes opens up wounds, and if you have had wounds opened up and you want somebody to pray with you, let us know. There's